0: Well, let's turn in the Scriptures to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we'll read this evening, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 4. And before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Father, we're thankful once again that You speak to us and hear a very perhaps familiar passage to many of us. We pray that You would grant us continued understanding, knowledge, and wisdom from it, that we would see Jesus Christ, Your Son, in all His glory, and that You would give us a sense of Your majesty, of Your holiness, and of Your glory. And Father, we pray that You would humble Your servant and turn his heart to You, that we would all hear Your Word and not His. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah 6, verses 1-4. through 4. These are God's words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and its train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Those are God's words. Now this passage, and it's probably why it's so well known, is something other than what we find often In Scripture. It is not contradictory to Scripture, the rest of it, but it is to our senses perhaps something other. And here in the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, in this chapter, he is called by Jehovah to be a prophet. And it comes through a vision from Jehovah, of Jehovah. Chapters One through five, the first five chapters, they have served thus far as a summary of the whole book of Isaiah. And so now, having that book summarized at the beginning, we see with Isaiah this vision we have described for us. The first thing we have put before us in verse one is the timing of this call for Isaiah to be a prophet. It is, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died. That year we know is 739 B.C. Uzziah himself was a good king. He reigned beginning at the age of 16. He reigned for 52 years. He committed, though, a very terrible and sinful deed in his later life. And so, you who are older, remember that. There are other many followers of the Lord in the Scriptures who, when they got older, committed terrible sins. And He committed a very terrible and sinful deed. And it's because of that that He died. And in Second Chronicles 26, it says, "...but when He was strong, His heart was lifted up to His destruction." For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. We just heard in Colossians 2 about will worship, doing what we want to do. And that's what King Uzziah did. He, as the king, had no place to go into the temple. He was the king. He's not a priest, not the high priest. He was the king. He did not have the office to go into the temple, but he wanted to go in to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And so he went in and did things that only priests were to do. And so he was confronted with the high priest at that time, Azariah, and 80 other priests, and he was rebuked. And as judgment, Jehovah struck him with leprosy for the rest of his life, for 12 years. In which, because of that, in 739 BC, he, King Uzziah, died. And in that year, Isaiah receives this vision from Jehovah and his call, the calling to be a prophet. We kind of need to know what else is happening at this time. In the northern kingdom of Israel, in the divided kingdom, there's northern kingdom and southern kingdom, Southern kingdom is Judah. Northern kingdom is of Israel on always evil and wicked. The northern kingdom. At that time, Jeroboam II had died just a few years before this point. And the northern kingdom was becoming, as you know, more wicked over time. Weaker over time. And Assyria, right to the north of Israel, the northern kingdom, they were growing what? Stronger. They're growing stronger. And there's also a growing alliance between Assyria to the north and to the south, west Egypt. And right in the middle was Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah in the southern kingdom. Uzziah's reign, who was the king of Judah, Uzziah's reign had been a very stable reign, but not in the northern kingdom. They did not have a stable reign on after the Jeroboam the second had died. And that's what's happening. And when Isaiah is called by the Lord, he sees this vision. Often unknown to most of you is that this vision is spoken of in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, where he quotes in the middle here of this vision in verse 10, our verse 10, Isaiah 6 verse 10. In John 12 it says there, Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah, that's Isaiah, Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. That's verse 10 of our passage. These things said Esaias, Isaiah, when he saw His glory and spake of Him. And so after quoting Isaiah 6 verse 10, he says again, These things said Isaiah... When he saw his glory and spake of him, and Jesus is speaking in that context about himself. And when Isaiah saw the vision of Jehovah, he was seeing, here in Isaiah 6, he was seeing Jesus Christ. That's what John tells, that's what Jesus says in John 12. Jesus Christ sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And often we have taken this more of the Father when we ought not to, or Jehovah generally, which we can do here, but Jesus says that this is about Him. A vision of Jesus, the second person of the one Godhead. The first point this evening, the first point is the majesty of, Of Christ. The majesty of Christ. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Isaiah saw. This is a vision he received from the Lord. He saw the Lord Jesus sitting upon... A throne. He's not sitting upon a throne upon the earth, but one in glory. He is high and lifted up. Now does God sit upon a throne? Absolutely, he does. Matthew twenty three, and he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. And in our passage, Isaiah sees the manifestation of of the second person of the Godhead, and He had a human appearance. And so in this vision, as Isaiah 6, there is here a foreshadowing of what was to come. When God the Son would take on human flesh and be the God-man forever. And so in the vision, seeing God, God is a spirit. By here seeing the Lord with a human appearance, sitting upon a throne... And He is high and lifted up. And He is the King. He has a robe. The train of that robe has filled the entirety of the temple. And so the vision is of the Holy of Holies in the temple. Is Jesus at this point a man? No, He's not. He's not the God-man yet. His incarnation has not yet taken place. And yet here is Jehovah stooping down. He's stooping down to accommodate Isaiah's frailty as a man as we all are right now, for Him to see here a manifestation of Christ. But this also shows that Christ would come in the flesh, that man would behold the Word, who would be made flesh and dwell upon the earth so that mankind would behold His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And yet, while the Lord, even here, maybe we never thought of this passage like that, this memorable passage, but even here, He's He's stooping down, He's coming down, condescending to show us His Son and His glory, the glory of His Son and His majesty. And yet, as He is condescending, coming down to us to show us His Son, And revealing this to Isaiah and here to us, the passage itself is designed to show that Jehovah is a God of terrible majesty. Of terrible, awesome majesty. And so friends, all ministers, thinking of Isaiah and his being called to be a prophet, all ministers, all pastors, all preachers, if they are called by the Lord, they must have a high view of the Lord. They must have a high view of Jehovah. And here the Lord is calling Isaiah and showing Isaiah how high a view he must have of him, of the Lord. If Isaiah was to preach and minister in such a trying time when Assyria is growing in power and either allying, uh, uh, making an alliance with Egypt and, and Israel is becoming weaker and weaker, we know that Assyria is going to attack Israel at some point and then Judah. Perhaps. And all these people of Judah who are growing in wickedness, and Israel growing in wickedness, in such a trying time, if he's going to be a prophet, when well, many would want to attack him and not listen to him, and tear him apart, just like they did all the prophets, as Christ says in the New Testament. then he would face great discouragement, right? So something would need to hold him up. And it is this, at least in part, it was this vision that he beheld that day when he saw Christ lifted up on the throne. He needed a high view of Jehovah, of God Himself. And that, friends, today is what is needed by, as well by pastors who are so called to preach the Word of God. And yet often today, pastors have a very low, familiar friend or boyfriend view of Jesus Christ which is false. And this is why so many focus on God is love only and forget or abstain from looking and calling all people to see God as well, as holy. And all His majesty as we are shown here and all His grandeur. And so we've lost fellowship, that lost fellowship with God of His Communion with that grandeur and majesty and our place before that majesty and and greatness that He is in His glory. That He is infinitely exalted over us, having sovereign dominion over all, over everything. Here is the vision where God stoops down and comes down and shows through a a manifestation of Jesus, uh, physical to Isaiah's, Isaiah's sight, So that he could have an understanding, a little understanding of who Jehovah is and who Jesus Christ is. And yet God, even in the vision, is high and lofty and exalted. And yet, what has He done? He's stooped down, He's come down to give this vision to Him. The same, if you go back to the Tower of Babel, and they're trying to get up to God and they're building this tower to get up to God, and what does it say uh, makes us smile? God came down to judge them, right? He came down to them. If the church, if we are to be strengthened in our love, and our knowledge of Him, and we will need to be gripped with, like Isaiah, the awesome, infinite, and eternity, uh, eternal majesty of Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. Says above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain, he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Right, these angelic-like spiritual creatures, these creatures attend and serve Christ. We will in this life never grasp with much understanding uh, this aspect of who these creatures are. They fly almost hovering it seems but they fly and these seraphim they're burning burning seraphim that's what you need to think when you see seraphim they're burning because that's the meaning of the word fiery burning ones that's what you should have in your in your bibles instead of just seraphim that's the hebrew word seraphim and it means burning or burning ones and these Burning ones, minister and serve Christ according to His will perfectly. That's why they're flying. So they can do His will and do His bidding exactly as He commands. Always ready to do it. Burning with such ardent zeal to serve Christ. You remember who Christ is. He is the Lord of hosts. Even we see it here. A Lord of armies who commands the myriad and the myriads of angels, angelic beings, and they do as He pleases. So these seraphim do the same. Christ is seated in all His majesty. Such divine beauty and power and grandeur and magnificence. Again, what the church needs today instead of novelty and entertainment is the grasp hold of the vision of the majesty of Jesus Christ. And how great He is. The church needs not more ministries to help with this problem and that problem, this issue and that issue. The church needs to know the greatness of the majesty of our God. How awesome He really is. You go back to this morning. What do they need? They need the truth. Who does it come from? It comes from Christ. To know His majesty and His greatness and His awesomeness. That He alone can deliver His bride, the church, from all its present miser- miseries and troubles and confusions. We do not need man's problem-solving techniques. We need the more, the more majesty of God. We need Jehovah Himself and who He is. That is the need that we have today in the church. The second point this evening is the holiness of Christ. The holiness of Christ. Verse 2 again. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And go back to the seraphim to think about them. The seraphim... Had six wings. This is similar to those living creatures in Revelation 4 who are surrounding the throne there in Revelation 4. And they also have six wings. And they're also crying out something said the same or similar to what we see in verse 3. It says there in Revelation 4, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about Him. And they were full of eyes within and the rest, and they rest not day or night, saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord, God Almighty, which was and is and is to come, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, and it goes on. Right? Do you want to know how holy Jehovah is, Christ is? The seraphim with four of their six wings, are covering themselves because of how holy Christ is. They are spiritual beings. They don't have bodies as described here. This is again a visible manifestation here of these angelic beings for the sake of the vision given to Isaiah so he can grasp just a little bit of the majesty and the holiness of God. With two, they cover their faces, so they cannot look and gaze upon His great holiness. They cover their feet, because even though they are sinless creatures, their feet are still too, we might say, dirty or unholy in comparison to the infinite holiness of Jesus Christ. The other two they used to fly so that they can serve the Lord according to His will, exactly according when He says to do what He says. And so do you understand, friends, what reverence, what all these holy beings had for Jehovah in Christ? Try to grasp that. As they served before the majesty of God in heaven. If they are so struck, if they are so struck with awe and reverence before Christ that they don't even uncover their eyes to behold Him because they can't. And they can't uncover their feet because they're too sinful, right? They're not, they're almost, it's almost like they're too sinful. They're not sinful. But they're almost like that compared to Him. And they can't, we can't see as the vision. We have the mere description, so much, how much more should we stand in awe and reverence of Christ the King who sits upon the throne? If they are covering themselves before his holiness, how much more should we revere him with great awe and fear? Verse three, they cried out with one another. So these both these seraphim are saying both of them are saying holy holy is holy is the lord of hosts the lord of armies right here we learn uh, Christ Jesus is jehovah for here the seraphim cry out and say before him that he lord capital l capital o capital r capital d in our english translations jehovah he is holy 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 The first Lord in verse 1 is that Lord Adonai. We won't get into the difference between those, but here He's saying, this is Jehovah, and holy is He. Holy is Jehovah. And we already know Isaiah is having this vision of Christ Jesus. And so holy is Christ. Now Jehovah's Witnesses, They claim to be witnesses of Jehovah, to Jehovah. If Jehovah's Witnesses were true witnesses of of Jehovah, they would witness to the fact and testify that Jesus is not, uh, they would not do, they would testify that Jesus Christ is Jehovah. But they don't. And so they are false. They are heretics who believe that Jesus is not fully God. That He is not Jehovah. Those are like the early church heresies. Uh, He is not Jehovah Himself, but here He's saying, Jesus said in John 12, He is. And He says right here, He says it in Timothy, He says it in Titus as well. But that we have found, uh, they're saying what we, Jehovah's Witnesses are saying, what we have found here this evening is false. False. They say that Christ is false. And so they are enemies of Jehovah. Jesus Himself has shown and said Himself that He is Jehovah. And I'm not sure how well we can grasp this, friends, but we can ask the question then about these seraphim. If, if these seraphim, perfect, sinless creatures, are so holy themselves, and they are holy, and they are holy, holy, they are pretty holy, right? how can they be the ones who are exclaiming that Jehovah is holy, holy, holy? If they're holy, how can they exclaim that He is holy, holy, holy? While these seraphim are holy, they are not holy in every way that Jehovah in Christ is holy. Why is the Lord uniquely holy, uniquely separate, distinct, other than everything and everything else, even the the seraphim. There are two ways that Jehovah is so uniquely holy, even compared to the seraphim and the angels, the elect angels. The first is that He is the eternal Creator of the heavens and the earth and all that in them is, even the sea, right? No one and nothing can be described that way except Jehovah, and therefore He is other than He is holy. He is so distinct as Creator from His creatures that He is holy. There is an infinite difference, friends, between God as Creator and all creatures, even angelic beings who are creatures, created, because He made them all. Even these moral, perfect, sinless creatures He created. There is no one like that, Lord. No one like Jehovah. And so even the seraphim are in awe of him. Think of those religions that worship the creation, creatures, and of, or that God is all and all is God, they say. There's nothing more patently false than that. We are shown here that the Lord is one and separate and distinct from all the creation, all creatures. He is completely other than God. He is the Creator, and so is self-existent. Eternally existent. He has not created Himself. No one made Him. No one formed Him. No one came up with Him. And this is why, friends, the great enemy has encouraged atheists, agnostics, saying, there can't be an eternal, uncreated being. That believing in such is utter nonsense. That's the only argument they have. They just say, well, that's nonsense. If there is no God, if there is not one who has, if one, if there is not one who has no beginning, then everything becomes nonsensical, chaos, illogical, ridiculous, and silly. Everything that comes in any, if you push the atheist, they will have to come to chaos and irrationality. If there is a beginning, then who began the beginning? If there is no beginning, there would still need to be something that started the first thing, the first creature. And that thing would be the Creator. You see, friends, every thought and religion of the world that seeks to deny that God, that there is a God who is Creator and eternal, is false. When they deny that, it's false. Friends, God, the the true God Jehovah in Christ is so distinct and different than all creatures and all creation. He is eternal, the Creator, having no limits, but is forever. And so the, the... The created beings, Revelation 4, they say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So first, He is holy, 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 more even than the seraphim and the angelic beings, even though they are perfect, because He is Creator. And everything else is created, including the seraphim and the angels, etc. Second, Jehovah is uniquely holy because He is independently, morally, pure, and holy. He is infinitely above all, having no beginning, even in His moral character. He has always been eternally, morally, pure, and holy. Nothing else made Him pure. And so He's independently pure. Nothing made Him pure. He is independently so. Jehovah is also separate from sin, and yet separate from sin independently. Holy creatures are holy and separate from sin because they are made so and kept so. First Timothy 5 teaches us this. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels... That thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Just those two words. Elect angels. Those elect angels, how are they elect? How are they morally pure and sinlessly perfect when there are other fallen angels, the devil and his followers, the demons, right? Why did the elect angels not sin? When the demons and Satan, angels themselves, sinned. Why did some angels sin and others did not? The answer is there in the words. Elect angels. The angels who remain sinless, remain sinless because God chose them to be sinless and remain sinless. And so that the creature, even a sinless creature, is dependent upon the power and the will of God to remain holy and sinless. This is true of the angels. And if that's true based upon the Scriptures of the angels, how much more us? The Lord Jehovah Himself Himself is holy, therefore in comparison to them. More holy in that He is morally independent. He's not dependent upon another to be pure and holy, like the angels, and like we are. He is independently so. He's not dependent upon anyone outside of Himself to be morally pure. He maintains His moral purity and holiness perfectly, eternally, because He is Himself. He is God. He is independent. His unchangeable character defines holiness. If you want to know what purity is, you look no further than Jehovah. If you want to know what is right and wrong, what is righteousness and justice, what is sin, then we must begin with Jehovah in Christ. What God is. What God does. What God approves of. What God says defines right and wrong. Holiness and filthiness. Holy created beings are made holy by God and kept holy by God. But God is independently pure and holy and without sin. And so, then, if these created beings, the seraphim, which are morally pure and perfect spiritual beings, so cry out and magnify the Lord's holiness and reverence Him so greatly, what should be found in us? All the more. For we are less than holy than the angels, right? Great reverence when we meet together and worship. Great reverence when we go to the Lord in prayer. Great reverence and awe for our God, and our King, Jesus is Him. When we draw near to the Lord according to His ordinances and worship, it ought to be characterized by a holy reverence and fear of the Lord, just like we heard in this morning in the call to worship. The joy of God's people, the joy of God's people is a reverential, reverent joy, filled with awe. The world cannot know that joy, because they know not God. When the ladies ran from the empty tomb to bring the disciples' word, it says they departed quickly from the sepulcher, the tomb, with fear, reverence, and great joy. The holiness of Christ. Third point. The glory and presence of Christ. The glory and presence of Christ. Verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. The house. That's the temple. We go back to when the temple was completed in Solomon's time. 1 Kings 8. The ark was brought in. That's the last thing that happened. The ark was brought in. And on top of that ark was the mercy seat, the very throne of God, symbolized when it was brought in and the priests left. This is what it says. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in thick darkness. Amongst the cloud. And that's showing that the Lord's presence had come down to earth in that time resting there in the Holy of Holies above the mercy seat upon the throne. And that's the picture that Isaiah is seeing here with a manifestation, a physical manifestation of Jesus Christ and these seraphim. Showing. That Jehovah, this gracious and glorious God and Christ, is with His people. and He's with His people. Christ present with His people through the covenant of graces. we studied Isaiah 4 verse 5. It says, And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. And so our glorious God is present with His people in Christ through the covenant of grace shown forth there at the temple and the smoke filled the temple because God is with his people in Christ right even in those harsh and troubling times ahead for Israel the northern kingdom and for Judah all those who were his people he was near to and he's saying here to Isaiah the Lord is with his people and I am with you Isaiah because you are My people. The seraphim, verse 3, declared, the whole earth is full of His glory. If the smoke indicates Jehovah is with His people, why did the seraphim say that the whole earth is full of His glory? Our God in Christ is present with His people and His covenant love from the covenant of grace and is bound to them as their God and their salvation Is in Christ Jesus, and yet the glory of God is displayed in all the earth by the work of His hands in creation. The eternal power of God is displayed for all of creation. Psalm 19, "...and the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense." Uh, Psalm 8, O Lord our God, our, O Lord our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. The glory of the Lord fills the earth as it displays the work of Jehovah's hand in the creation and in him, the providence and in providence. So he is a God who is near, who establishes and sustains in his providence. And this is in our God, our God in Christ, filled with majesty, holiness, and glory. And finally, that leads is where we, where we began. The final point, the manifestation of Christ in the flesh. The manifestation of God in the flesh. Christ is seated upon the throne. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. So here, exalting in Him as Creator. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And then some verses later, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And and we beheld His glory. Glory glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ, born of the seed of David... By the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and that born in a low condition, He, Jesus, whose uh, another name that he has is Emmanuel, God with us, present with us. This God who became a man without ceasing to be God the God-man, silenced and defeated the devil. He cast out demons, worked many miracles, silenced even the seas, as only the Creator of the seas can do. And so that they exclaimed, what manner of man is this? For He commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. Friends, He is Christ, who now sits on the throne, high and lifted up, exalted over all, who is great in majesty, Holiness and glory and completely other as Creator. And He is present with His people and all His glory displayed. All others are dependent upon Him. He alone is independent. And so what ought we to do but to reverence Him and praise Him? And give thanksgiving to Him. Just like the seraphim and the great beasts in Revelation 4. Praising Him. Honoring Him. Today we must remember that Christ came in the flesh to save His people from their sins. This God, this Christ of Isaiah 6, came for our sakes because of His love for us. And His majesty and His holiness and His glory. He emptied Himself even to the point of death and death on a cross to save us from our sins. And having now been exalted, will come again to judge the world on the last day as He sits now on the throne. Terrible will the day be. Awesome will the day be. But He comes. And you will have to come before this Christ in all majesty and holiness and glory. The Lord in Christ, here we learn, is awesome in appearance. Something to look forward to. The seraphims do not even look upon Him out of reverence and awe of Him. And so what ought we to do? We ought to come unto Him, turning from our sins, turning to Him by faith, that your righteousness might be found today and on that last day in Him, dependent upon Him alone, just like the seraphim and the elect angels. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that You teach us of Yourself. We pray that we would love You all the more for who You are, but that we would also grow in the reverence and awe that fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Give us that fear, that holy fear, Of Jesus Christ, your Son, our mediatorial King who sits on the throne. Who is arrayed in all majesty and holiness and glory. And yet who is present with His people who come to Him by faith from their sins. Even by His Holy Spirit whom He sends with the Father, the Spirit of Christ. Father, continue to teach us who You are. That we would be able to stand firm against all the wiles of the devil, resisting Him. As well, Father, those who are His servants, His children on the earth, who would seek to attack us and persecute us just like they would, as we know, Isaiah the prophet and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all the prophets, they did. Father, we ask that You would strengthen us. Give us an understanding of Your greatness and Your awesomeness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.